The following sermon is by Dr. Chuck Register, Interim Pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. Take your Bible in hand, please, and come with me to Luke's Gospel, the second chapter. Luke's Gospel, the second chapter. We're continuing our sermon series of the angelic messages of Christmas. You'll remember a few weeks ago when we began this series, we looked at the angel's message to Mary. And then last week we looked at the angel's message to Joseph. Uh, and now we come to the, the final message that we see during the Christmas season, specifically surrounding the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Christ child. And that is the angel's message to the shepherds. Luke chapter 2 is probably one of the most beloved chapters in all of Scripture. It's one that we read often. It's one that has a, a warm glow as we read it. It's a passage of Scripture that encourages us. And this morning I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. You'll follow along reading silently as I read aloud. Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Verse 4. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into the heavens, the shepherds began saying to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing which has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary, Mary treasured all of these things, pondering them in her heart. 
The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. Father, would you help this passage of Scripture live in all of its brilliance this morning? May these familiar verses not simply be given a part of our attention this morning, but may we focus on them, the message that they share. May they mold and shape our lives today. May these verses live within us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. As you're being seated, I would add to Krista's invitation from earlier in our service, an invitation to you to join us on Christmas Eve as we gather here Tuesday, 5 p.m., for a wonderful service of carols and candlelight. We'll observe the Lord's Supper together. We'll examine this very passage of Scripture in a much briefer way on Christmas Eve and then take a look at the conclusion of this wonderful story that we find later in the New Testament. But this morning, we're focusing on this message from the angel to the shepherds. And we're going to see four points that I want you to be uh, aware of and ready for. First, we'll see that these shepherds were some ordinary men, but they received a very extraordinary message. And when they received that message, I want us to see that two responses are noted in Scripture. There's a heavenly response to this message that they received, but then I want you to see their heartfelt response to this message. So let's begin our study this morning by examining these ordinary men called the shepherds. Look with me, chapter 2 and verse 8. In the same region, there were some shepherds. Now, what do we know about shepherds in the first century? Shepherds in the first century are, are very ordinary men. It's a very common occupation. As a matter of fact, throughout Scripture, several men that we greatly respect are shepherds at one phase of their life or another, men like Abraham and Moses and David. In the Old Testament, a shepherd is, is a lofty occupation, but by the time we come to the New Testament, especially to Luke's gospel and the Christmas story, the occupation of the shepherd is an everyday ordinary occupation. And to these ordinary men, not to the religious leaders of the first century, not to the, the affluent members of society in the first century, not to the political leaders of the first century, but to these ordinary, everyday men. Men like me and men like you. Men who had jobs that they awakened in the morning, if you will, and, and they took their lunch pail in hand, if you can imagine, and they went to work and they put in their hours tending their sheep and caring for their flock. And that was their routine day after day after day. Not extremely educated, if at all. Not affluent, not influential, just hardworking, ordinary individuals like us. But by the time we get to the first century, we also see something else has happened. This, this idea of the loftiness of the shepherd has become an occupation that's in disrepute. 
As a matter of fact, in the first century, many shepherds were considered to be thieves, mischievous thugs, if you will. As a matter of fact, they were so thrown into a category of those who, who did not speak the truth and tell the truth that shepherds were not allowed in the first century to be a part of testifying in court. They were not allowed to raise their right hand and be a witness in a court case because shepherds were known by the first century to be such liars they could not be trusted. They were men who violated the Sabbath law. They worked on the Sabbath instead of resting on the Sabbath. And these particular shepherds, many theologians believe, were outside of Bethlehem watching over the flock that would be used eventually as sacrifices in the temple. Because of that, ladies and gentlemen, these shepherds were considered ceremonially unclean. They were considered to be such riffraff, if you will, though they're ordinary when it comes to education and ordinary when it comes to income and ordinary when it comes to influence. They are considered to be in such disrepute as shepherds. They cannot testify in a court of law and listen, they cannot attend temple to worship. So what we discover, ladies and gentlemen, about these shepherds in the first century, these men who are about to receive this magnificent message from heaven, these men, because of their lifestyle, are separated from God. You see, in the first century, you, you went to temple as a Jew. It was in the temple that you came into God's presence. It was in the temple that your sins are atoned for and your prayers are offered toward heaven. And if you're not allowed to enter into the temple for worship, you as a Jew of the first century are totally separated from the Father. The truth is, ladies and gentlemen, you and I without Jesus are just like these shepherds. We're ordinary folks. But without Christ, because of our lifestyle, we are separated from the love of the Father. Not that he does not love us, but we have rejected his love by our lifestyle, by our sinfulness, by our sinful thoughts and words and actions. We have taken a step away from the love of God. We are just like the shepherds in verse 8. By our lifestyle, our sinfulness, save for Jesus Christ, we are separated from the Father. But look what happens to these ordinary men. These ordinary men receive an extraordinary message. Look with me, if you will, beginning with verse 10. But the angel said to them, these ordinary men, these men who are separated by their lifestyle from the Father, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. The first thing I want you to see about this extraordinary message, it is a joyful message. And look how it's worded in Scripture. Come back with me to verse 10. I bring you good news. The two words translated there, good news, are translated from a Greek word that's used 11 times in the New Testament. Luke uses them 10 times. It's as almost as if Luke is saying throughout his gospel, I have some good news for you. I have some good news for you. Pay attention, world. Here's some good news. Perhaps he's saying to us, pay attention, Emmanuel. Here comes some good news. 
But then he layers this announcement of good news with some very strong and powerful words. Look back at the text. But the angel said to these ordinary men, these men whose lifestyle have them separated from God, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. You see those two words, great joy? Literally, they can be translated mega joy. The angels say to to the shepherds, "I, I have not just some good news for you, I have some good news And this good news won't bring simply joy into your life. It's going to bring mega joy into your life. Let me see if I can illustrate that. After church today, some of you are going to be looking for a place to eat, aren't you? And and some of you tragically will make your way to McDonald's. (laughs) And and when you get to McDonald's, you're going to walk up to the window and and tragically you're going to select something healthy like a, a number one, a Big Mac and fries and a Coke. And and when you make that order, you're going to get an order of fries that are going to be golden brown and salted to perfection. They've crafted this recipe so so that you're addicted to their fries and they bring you back in the door day after day after day. But once you place your order, that young man or that young lady who's waiting on you is going to say a question. Would you like that They used to say biggie-sized. And their promotional people told them that was a very poor choice of words because their fries made you biggie. And so now they say, would you like them supersized? Now, when you say, yes, I want them supersized, you don't get these fries, you get these fries. 12 pounds of potatoes fried to perfection. This is mega joy. This is joy. This is mega joy. Supersized joy. That's what the angels are saying to these ordinary shepherds. I've got some good news for you. And it's not just a measure of joy it's going to bring into your life. It's going to be the most joy you've ever experienced. Ladies and gentlemen, we look at this phrase and it's almost as if God is saying, Through the angel, I'm about to tell you the best news you've ever heard in all of your life. What's the best news you've ever heard in all of your life? Guys, was it it that simply that response when you were on bended knee and asked for her hand in marriage when she said, yes, was that the best news you've ever heard? Was it the doctor who said, congratulations, you're going to be parents? Was it the doctor who said, we've got it all. The surgery was successful. Was it your boss who said, congratulations, here's your promotion. What's the best news you've ever heard in all of your life? We come to this angelic message and God says to us, Whatever's the best news you've ever heard, boy, have I got some news for you. I'm about to tell you the best thing you've ever heard in all of your life. Far superior to yes, far superior to you're going to have a baby, far superior to we think we have it all, you should be healthy as soon as you recover from surgery, far superior to congratulations to your promotion, your pay raise in your new office. 
It's a joyful message. Let's see what this message happens to be. Not only is it joyful, but I also want you to see in this passage that it's universal. This joyful message, this mega joy given to these ordinary shepherds, it's universal. Come back to the text with me. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for, what's the word, church? All the people. This message is not just for the shepherds, it's for all the people. It's not just for the Jews of the first century. Eventually we'll see in the New Testament, it's for the Gentiles. And you and I have lived long enough to understand it's not just for the Jew, not just for the Gentile, it's for every person on the face of the earth. That's why we have the International Mission Board and the Lighty Moon Christmas Offering. This message, this good news that we study is for all the people, universal. It's for the Russian, it's for the Chinese, it's for the Iranian and the Iraqi. It's for the terrorist and the law-abiding citizen. It's for the English speaker and the non-English speaker. It's for any race that you happen to imagine in your mind as I speak. It's for all the people universal. But not only is it universal, I also want you to see that this message is personal. Come back and look at the verse. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, mega joy, which shall be for all the people. It's universal. For today in the city of David, there has been born for, what's the word church? You. You see, I want you to understand this message that the angel is about to give the shepherds is universal, but I really want you to grasp this morning that it's personal. It's for you. Whoever you are this morning in this room, male or female, it's for you. Affluent or barely getting by, it's for you. Multiple college degrees behind your name or, or you're struggling to make it through school, even as I speak, it's for you. Regardless of race, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of lifestyle, regardless of your past, regardless of your present, it's for you. This message that brings great joy is a personal message. Now, what I really want you to see, most of all, is this message is a salvific message. Come back and look with me, if you will. Verse 10. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, mega joy, which shall be for all the people. It's universal. For today in the city of David there has been born for you. It's a personal message. It applies to your heart and my heart. And here it comes. It's a salvific message. A savior. A savior. The word used there in the Greek is the word soter. We examined this word last Sunday as we gathered together. It's a word that means to save from certain destruction. It's not that you might be destroyed. It's not that if things don't change, you will be destroyed. It is the fact that you are headed to certain destruction, but something or someone 
saves you. We saw last week, we're saved from our what? Our sin. It's what Matthew 1, 21 tells us. We're saved from our sin. This Christ child who came, came into the world to save us from our sins. Keep your finger in Luke chapter 2 and come with me, if you will, to Matthew 1, 21. Let's just make sure that we remember that powerful verse of Scripture. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. And he will save his people from their sins. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the message that brings mega joy to the world. Amen? It is a universal message. It applies to every man, woman, boy, child living on planet Earth. It's a personal message. It applies to your life and it applies to my life. In 2019, on December the 22nd, it applies to us. In that manger, born on that Christmas night, is a Christ child, Christ the Lord, who will save his people from certain destruction, the certain destruction of their sinfulness. Oh, what an extraordinary message. And then he reminds us, this angel, as he speaks to the shepherd, who this Savior's identity happens to be, verse 11. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The word Christ meaning Messiah. The word Lord there meaning Master. Christ the Lord. The Messiah that we've been waiting for as a Jewish nation has now been born and he is going to be the Savior who saves us from the certain destruction of our sins. On that particular evening, ladies and gentlemen, recorded in the Luke chapter 2, some very ordinary men, salt-of-the-earth men, down-to-earth men received the most extraordinary message the human ear had ever heard. It was a message to bring mega Joy. Messiah had been born, and the Messiah would save us from our sins. So then Luke begins to record for us how in this story various characters respond to this message. How do the various members of this story respond to this message that that the Savior has been born and that the Savior, the Messiah, would save us from the certain destruction of our sins. Well, there are two primary players that he wants us to see their response. But before we do, it brings us to a question. How do you respond this morning to the greatest joy the human ear has ever heard? How do you respond to the message that there is a Savior? A Savior for the world, yes, but a Savior for you who can save you from your sin. How do you respond to that message? Well, let's see how the angels in glory respond. As we begin looking, there's a heavenly response. It's recorded for us in verses 13 and 14. And the first thing I want you to see, it's a response of praise. Verse 13, and suddenly... There appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. The phrase heavenly host is used throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament to speak of an army of angels. 
One angel has been speaking to the shepherds and once he gives this powerful, joyful message of salvation through Christ, the Savior, Christ the Lord, then the, the entire heavens open, ladies and gentlemen, with an army of angels. And look what the army of angels begin to do. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. The word highest that's used there is a word that speaks of the highest reaches of heaven. What we see taking place, ladies and gentlemen, is this heavenly response that burst forth from this wonderful message, this extraordinary message. The entire heaven erupts praise of the Father. Let me ask you a question this morning. What service did you attend to this date that you would consider the most worshipful, the most beautiful, the most glorious worship service you've ever attended? Was it a Christmas cantata, perhaps here at Emmanuel? Is it the playing and the singing of the hallelujah chorus? What would you say in your life was the pinnacle moment of worship that you've ever experienced in all of your walk with Jesus? Ladies and gentlemen, I contend to you that that night in heaven far surpassed anything you and I have ever experienced on earth. An army of angels throughout the upper reaches of heaven giving glory to God. Why are they giving glory? Because for 400 years, God had been silent from the close of the Old Testament to the birth of Jesus. For 400 years, God had been silent in speaking to mankind. But now the Christ child has come. Redemption is now possible for the human race. Sins can now be forgiven and life everlasting can be experienced. And the entire heavens erupt praising and glorifying the Lord. There is a heavenly response that bursts forth in this passage. There's also the promise of peace. Look with me, verse 14. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men. Peace among men. Peace among men. The word peace that's used there, ladies and gentlemen, is a medical term of the first century. It's a term that means to, to set a broken bone. Have you ever had a broken bone? If you have, you know it's painful. You know that whatever part of the body is broken doesn't function the way it's supposed to. As a matter of fact, each time you perhaps try to use it, it, it creates a sharp pain throughout the body. It's why many times with broken bones, the doctor will place a cast or a splint, perhaps put you on crutches to remind you not to use that part of the body while it heals. Here's what Dr. Luke is saying. Here's what the angels are proclaiming on this particular evening. We come to Luke chapter 2 and there's something that's broken. 
There's something that's broken and the brokenness causes pain and the brokenness causes life not to function the way life is supposed to function. And what he's speaking of, ladies and gentlemen, is the relationship between the creator and the created. It's broken as we enter Luke chapter 2. Because of sinfulness, because of our transgressions, our relationship with the Father is broken, it's shattered, and it is as painful in life as a broken bone. And life doesn't function the way it should because of the brokenness. And what the angels begin to proclaim is this possibility of peace, this promise of peace, that this brokenness can be healed, that this brokenness can be brought back together so that God and man, not standing in a broken relationship, but in a relationship of harmony. Look how the angels say it. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace... The King James reads, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. It's almost as if the expression is that this peace and this goodwill is offered to every man. But ladies and gentlemen, a better translation is as follows. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. You see, God doesn't offer this peace to, to everyone. He, 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 excuse me, he does offer it to everyone, but it doesn't flood into the life of everyone. It only flows into the life of the one with whom he's pleased. And the only way for God to be pleased with us is for us to embrace this Savior born in a manger, this Christ child who came to save us from our sins. When we embrace this Christ child as our Lord and Savior, when we embrace him as Christ the Lord of our life, then this peace, this harmony, this healing of brokenness flows into our life and our relationship with the Lord. There's a heavenly response. Final thing I want you to see in this passage is what I also call a heartfelt response is the response of the shepherds. Men like us, ordinary men, how do they respond to this extraordinary message? Look with me, beginning with verse 15. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us so they came in a hurry. Ladies and gentlemen, the first thing we see from the shepherds, they respond with belief. Belief. They're out in the countryside watching their sheep. It's, it's a night like any other until the angel appears. And the angel brings this magnificent message of great joy to them. The heavens open and the host of angels, an army of angels glorifying God to the very highest reaches of heaven. And when all of that disappears, what do the shepherds do? The Bible says they go straight to Bethlehem. Why? Because they believe. They believe the message is true. They believe the possibility that this message that the angels have given has become a reality in their life. As a matter of fact, the words that are used point to that fact. Come back to the text with me. When the angels had gone away from them into the heavens, 
The shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this. The English text says thing. In the Greek it says the reality. In their heart and mind, the story that the angels had given even before they laid eyes on the Christ child was true. They believed. And so what do they do? Not only do they go straight to Bethlehem, verse 16 says they came in a hurry. They made their way to Bethlehem as quickly as they could get there because they believed that this message, that the Messiah had been born, the one who would save us from our sin, had entered the world. They believed. But not only did they believe, I want you to see they also witnessed. Look with me, verse 16. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. Verse 17. When they had seen this, when they had seen what? When they had seen the Christ child wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in the manger, when they had seen this, when they had put their eyes on the reality of the message shared with them by the angel, when they had seen this, what did they do? When they had seen this, verse 17, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. They began to share, to share the message that the angel had shared with them. They began to tell it over and over. They told Mary, they told Joseph, they told all who would listen this message that had been given to them. What was that message? Verse 10. That the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of mega joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. What was this heartfelt response from the shepherds first? They believed. Second, they witnessed. They believed enough to hurry to the manger to see the Christ child. And when they had seen him with their own eyes, they went about sharing a witness of all that they had heard and all that they had seen. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. A moment ago, I asked you a question. How do you respond to the message of the angel? Do you believe? Do you believe that on that first Christmas Eve, more than just a baby was born into the world, but he was the Savior, Christ the Lord? Do you believe that he came not just to live a modeled life and to teach us 
wonderful principles, but do you believe that he came to save his people from their sins? To save the world, yes, but to save you individually. Do you believe? If you believe, do you witness? If you believe, do you share with those around you that you have already seen the Christ child and the Christ child has already saved you from your sins and he will do the same for family and friends and co-workers and neighbors for all the world? Do you believe? Do you witness? Father, I pray in this moment that you would speak to your people. Father, there are some perhaps here this morning who need to believe for the very first time to understand this Christmas story as more than just a warm, fuzzy fairy tale, but it's truth and reality. That on that first Christmas Eve, the Savior of the world, the one to save us from our sins was born. Help us to believe. And Father, for those of us who claim to believe and have believed for years, we pray that you would give us the courage and the boldness to witness, to share with everyone we meet. We've seen the Christ. We've heard his voice. He has saved us from our sins. May this story, Father, be more real this Christmas season than ever before. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Dr. Chuck Register, interim pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information and free access to other messages, visit us on the web at ebcraleigh.com.